I'm Chris Sheets, and I'm your host for the Celebrity Podcast, where we sit down with celebrities from the worlds of music, sports, TV, and movies to hear their stories about the pets they love. He was in Harper's arms the entire afternoon, just hanging out, eating all the, you know, the hors d'oeuvres and stuff like that. How cool is this? Charlie doesn't even realize he's in the Prime Minister's arms. The Celebrity Podcast, available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, January 24th. We begin with details of a new housing development in our city aimed at getting homeless veterans off the street. We speak with Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley about Veterans Village. Next, we get the latest on the coronavirus outbreak. We catch up with Crystal Guman Singh, Global National's Europe Bureau Chief. Then we travel stateside for our weekly look at American politics. Jackson Proskow, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News, has the details of the start of the Senate hearing portion of the Donald Trump impeachment. Trial. And finally, it's a Friday tradition. We go to the movies with Brett McGarry of The Couch Potatoes. Brett has all the new releases for us, including the latest from director Guy Ritchie. 909 on the morning news. The Homes for Heroes Foundation was developed in response to the growing number of Canadian Armed Forces members returning to civilian life who are now facing housing issues. Thousands of veterans are currently living on the streets in Canada and are having a challenging time integrating back to civilian life. Canada's Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will be in Calgary to take the tour of the ATCO Veteran Tiny Home Housing Initiative. Good morning, Minister McCauley. Good morning, Andrew. It uh, takes place this morning. Are you in Calgary yet? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Now, do you believe that the tiny homes are a viable solution to the housing crisis for the veterans? Uh, it's a viable start to this solution. We have about, we think, pro- approximately 3,000 veterans that are homeless. And what we have to do is our commitment is to eliminate the homeless for veterans. And that's what we're doing. That's what we intend to do. But this is a start. Minister, 3,000 veterans, that's a lot. We have, I think, an image in our head of, of who these veterans are, older folks. Is that always the case, though, in this, in this sense of, of people who don't have a home? Absolutely not, Sue. Absolutely not. And, you know, there's different reasons why the vets are homeless, uh, but we're working on that, too. Sometimes there are even some of them that are not keen to leave where they are. But once these people get help and find out that they can work their way back into society and become very productive members of society, it becomes much easier. And if you can explain the the process, because if you finish a mission, uh, be it a year or maybe you were a career soldier, you come back to Canada, it isn't as easy as just, you know, uh, setting up shop and finding a new job because it is a complete 360 for, for some of these people. Andrew, you're so right. It's a complete 360. Example, your doctor's there. Everything is provided for you in the military. And when the transition takes place, all of a sudden, all of that is not available. And you have no job, no home, and you're used to having commanding officers, all of this. So what we have to do is start this. And being Associate Minister of National Defense, my job is to make sure that the transition uh, starts before well before and in fact it should be part of when you enter the military but of course uh, we and and that's what we want to do then we have the tiny homes and then today we have a career fair that i'm going to be attending and that is of course where we have the veterans who are 
Well, most of these veterans are well trained in one area or another, and and in fact, society and our businesses need these people. So, the career fair too is part of this process. We're working hard in all angles to make sure we get this under control as fast as possible. Minister, have you heard from veterans themselves why it is so key to start with the roof over your head, and that being the first sort of step to integrating back into civilian life? Well, of course, you hear, like even a couple of days ago, there's a veteran who was taken out of, uh, he slept in a car and he was, uh, they got a place for him to stay and how pleased he was. I would highly suspect this, this individual would become a very productive member of society. All you need when you're down on your luck a little bit is a little push. These people have done a lot for us. It's time for us to step up for them. And that's exactly what we're doing. I think it. I'm just speaking uh, on opinion here, Minister McCauley, but I think that most Canadians, not only shocked that we have uh, veterans facing homelessness, but I think this could be more of an awareness uh, issue for our nation than a caring issue, because I think that people are unaware to begin with. Absolutely. And of course, that's another thing you need to do, no matter what you're talking about, is to make sure that you have the support of the country, and we certainly have that. And this is an issue that, of course, is my responsibility but it's also uh, other countries have the same problem too so uh we we talk to other nations too but uh we're we have our own uh uh path to hopefully full success in this area and and part of what it is is what we're doing today so this is a veterans village so there will be other like-minded soldiers who are in that same sort of area is that also key to it is it being with people who understand where you've been and what you've been through well, it's it's uh, what it does. Of course, it's good. like we give them all the other types of help when they arrive there too. It's obvious when they end up in the tiny home, they want to get back into the mainstream of society, and this is, as I say, the first step. With that, of course, which I mentioned, the career fair, but then they might need some help from certain areas of Veterans Affairs, which we will provide and get them back into the system. First of all, you need a decent place to live, as you said, with a good roof over your head. Then you need to have employment for yourself. That is what we're doing, and we're working hard to pull it all together. Have you had the opportunity to tour any villages like this in, in any other cities in our nation? No, I did not tour any tiny homes issues, uh, uh, setups, no, but I'm fully aware of it. And I've uh, visited many areas like where, where veterans are, homeless veterans are kept or where they stay for the night, where they, where they are. And, um, uh, they broke, we broke ground in Ottawa and I knew one of these that's mm-hmm. a few months ago. This is a relatively new initiative, but it's part of, of doing what the country wants us to do in order to solve this issue. Where does the money come from, Minister, to pay for these sort of... Is this all sort of done by communities themselves, or is there a, a federal government, uh, you know, part oh, of the money to it? Very much so. That This money, of course, out of this uh, tiny homes, I think they got around 200000 I think, was about uh, the grant for this. But there's all of this many, many types of uh, funding when... Um, in the previous administration, we put $10 billion of new dollars into Veterans Affairs over six years, and this is just part of this funding. And, of course, as I said, this is part of the Veterans Wellbeing Fund that I've been announcing today.
Well, again, we have the notes here on the Atco Village at 1030 this morning where you'll be for the Calgary Homes for Heroes. And uh, again, we can give you the website uh, at the end of the segment. But again, you're not wasting your time in Calgary. You mentioned uh, your event this afternoon, Minister McCauley. Can you touch on what you'll be doing again this afternoon? Well, of course, we're going to the university and we're making a veterans entrepreneur announcement, which I'd want to make the announcement there instead of here. But but it's so important to uh, to do that and to make sure that people all over the country. Part of my job is to make sure that people understand and in fact, that veterans understand that there's veterans out there that do not realize there's help there for them. And it's hopefully working with people like yourselves, with the media to make sure that they hear that, look, we want to help you. You can be a valuable member of society. You have a lot to offer. We need you. Just give us, get a hold of us and we'll help. Well, it's a wonderful initiative. Thank you so much for being here and thanks for joining us again this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, that is Canadian Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley. And again, uh, Homes for Heroes Foundation. You can find their website, all the details at www.h, the number four, hf.ca. We are going to check in this morning with Global Nationals' Crystal Gumansing. She is joining us this morning, Global Nationals' Europe Bureau Chief, with the latest from Euro, Europe. Good morning, Crystal. Good morning. Thanks Thank, for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. So, I mean, where exactly are you right now? So I'm in uh, London. Our offices are in Camden, and we have been continuously chasing this story, following the situation not only here in the UK, but back home in Canada, and of course right around the globe, because people all over the world are paying attention, trying to track this situation, and governments, health officials, public health officials sort of doing their best to alleviate fears, but also not be complacent, because everyone has to watch out for this virus. This is a, a story that moves, it seems, by the minute or hour. Crystal. We've heard comparisons in the past to SARS. Are those comparisons still holding or are the experts you're hearing from saying that this could outpace SARS? Well, the WHO made a point yesterday in their uh, presentation when they said this is a public health emergency in China, saying it hasn't quite hit the criteria for a global public health emergency. Now, we did see that happen during SARS. We saw that happen during H1N1. Uh, that that um, declaration is rare. It happened about five times in the, in the past, you know, 10, 15 years or so. So it's an important declaration, but they're not just there yet. So there is a separation here between what we're seeing with the novel coronavirus and what we saw with SARS. Well, it is in the same viral family. Uh, it's the same family as the common cold, as MERS and as SARS. Uh, it's not quite the same at this point. Now, I put that caveat on it because it is an important part to highlight. And the WHO has said this as well. It appears to be, for the most part, uh, a lot of transmission, a number of cases, hundreds of cases um, hitting China and those areas, they're thinking that it's transmission person to person, that it is happening, but we're not seeing the global spread like we saw with SARS. So a little different. Now, there's a lot that the public health officials, the, um, you know, virologists, the, the experts in this area don't know. They're, they have a rough idea about the incubation period. They know that it's spreading person to person. Of course, with these viruses, they can mutate as they spread. So is it changing, um, which is 
is why the WHO was pleased, or at least they said they were pleased, with the uh, quarantine, the isolation efforts that we see in China. And those isolation efforts are substantial. We're talking about millions of people now, about 10 cities, about 20 million people basically locked down in their in their homes in their communities that um, you know getting information out of China a little bit difficult you have to be very um, uh, skeptical with what well, you're that, seeing and yeah. trying to compare it. Isn't that the question here you know are we really getting the truth from the Chinese government with I mean 26 deaths that's obviously it's it's terrible it's nothing to sneeze at but with 40 million being quarantined does there seem to be a disconnect between what maybe we're being told and what is reality? At this point, all we can do is assume that the Chinese officials are uh, in full cooperation with the World Health Organization and all of the um, expert panel members who have been working with Chinese officials. We have heard several Chinese officials on state media saying that, you know, they are being upfront, they are sharing information. A good example of that sharing information is in the sequencing of this virus, the fact that they, uh, you know, acknowledged that it was happening, that they put in measures, they uh, notified public health officials on a global scale and because of that sequence health officials around the world are able to um, accurately screen for it so we have seen movement of cooperation but then we also see um, rather spectacular steps we see the Chinese officials building a massive 1,000 bed mm -hmm. hospital they say it'll be ready by um, you know February about a week's time we did see that happen during SARS in Beijing so they can build a hospital that fast and you know obviously with with more than 800 people being ill they they do need space um but exactly you know are we getting all of the nuanced bits of truth? We, we really just can't say. And, and you know, we don't have a true scope of this virus. No one does because the information is, is so fluid and it's changing all the time. Well, thanks for the update this morning, Crystal. We appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. Crystal Gumansing is Global National Europe uh, Bureau Chief Reporter. 710 on the morning news. Wednesday was the first day of opening arguments in the Senate's impeachment trial into Donald Trump's conduct in the Ukraine. Uh, each and every Friday, we catch up with Jackson Proskow, and he is, of course, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. So lots to talk about, Jackson. And I want to back it up to Wednesday because it was very interesting. Not only was it the start of the impeachment uh, uh, arguments, it was a travel day for Donald Trump, and Donald Trump actually set a record <laughs> that day. Uh, so even though he was in... Uh, uh, traveling back from Davos, Switzerland, he sit, uh, set a, tr a Twitter record. Do you know the exact number? Because I've got it here in front of me if you don't. Uh, if you know the exact number, I'm willing to hear it from you because <laughs> I don't know, don't know it off the top of my head. <laughs> 142 tweets and retweets go. on Wednesday. So if you, think that he's not, yeah, if you think that he's not paying attention, Donald Trump very much is. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's certainly engaged in this. A lot of what he's retweeting is sort of what the pundits are saying about the impeachment inquiry. Um, he did make some comments in person while at the uh, World Economic Summit in Davos, uh, where he kind of seemed to, I don't know, boast about the fact that uh, he and the White House team have not been the most forthcoming with the evidence that uh, the impeachment inquiry is seeking. Uh, and that seems to have sort of dominated the discussion this week. Now, you talked about Trump being engaged. Are some of the others as engaged? Because we're hearing that, okay, they cannot have, from what I understand, any electronics, no phones, no laptops. 
while they're listening to all of the testimony. Uh, but they've been caught with uh, crossword puzzles, fidget spinners, uh, some having a nap. Are you hearing and seeing some of this? Yeah, so I think, you know, think about it in the context of what are all of our attention spans like these days? They're pretty short, uh -huh. right? So imagine having to spend these 8 and 12 and 14 hour days with no electronics at your disposal. You just have to sit there and listen. The day actually begins with uh, a, a sort of a warning from the sergeant at arms. Uh, this goes back to the 1800s that uh, all persons must remain silent on pain of imprisonment. So all they can have is a pen and paper, as you mentioned. And yeah, there have been sporadic reports of some doing crossword words, some seeming to doze off. Others, though, seem to be taking really detailed notes inside the chamber. It's really restrictive, even down to what they can eat and drink while mm -hmm. they're in there. Uh, they can only drink water or, for some reason, milk. That goes back to a ruling from the 1950s wow. that they can drink wow. milk in the Senate. Uh, and other than that, no food, although there is actually a secret stash of candy in one of the senator's desks, another <laughs> longstanding tradition. And you'll see them kind of walk over there and, and you know, pull out uh, uh, a few treats to munch on over the course of the trial. Well, obviously, uh, the Democrats would have to gain the attention of at least a, a handful of Republicans uh, to have the success that they're hoping to achieve. Which uh, hardcore Republicans uh, do uh, they have to keep their eye on? If you're, uh, which Republicans do Republicans have to watch? <laughs> Yeah, I think it's actually more about the soft Republicans, the ones who are in tough re-election fights uh, in 2020. So, for example, uh, you know, Senator Susan Collins of Maine, she's in a really tough fight, and she's one of the people who has signaled an openness to perhaps voting against her own party, voting with Democrats to allow witnesses to be introduced into the trial. So that being said, you've got sort of four or five who are needed and probably four or five who are on the fence about allowing witnesses, but you still need a two-thirds vote to convict the president and remove him from office. And never say never, but it's probably never going to happen. So where are we at with the whole witness thing? It's been a battle from moment one as to whether the witnesses would be allowed to testify. Yeah, so earlier this week, 11 amendments proposed by Democrats to call witnesses and subpoena documents were blocked by Republicans. That means that they were not introduced. That's not going to happen, at least not right away. What we're into now is the phase of opening arguments from both sides. Today is the final day for Democrats, and then Republicans have their 24 hours spread out over three or four days, starting on Saturday to make their arguments. After that, you're going to have questions for 16 hours, and then after that, we'll come full circle and we'll vote again on whether or not to introduce witnesses into the trial. Wow. Uh, and that's where it's sort of an open question. So it's as much as we talk about the senators being jurors and as this being a trial, it's kind of odd to think that the jurors also get to set the rules for how this trial unfolds. Man, lots of moving parts there. How about the timeline beyond today? <laughs> Are we still, uh, do we still think Six it's going to be? Yeah, is, it, is, is it going to be weeks? Uh, it's probably going to be wrapped up within a couple of weeks at this point. If there are no witnesses introduced, I would think that this is going to be wrapped up uh, before the State of the Union address, uh, sort of during the Iowa caucuses. So it could all wrap up uh, with a neat little bow before President Trump delivers the State of the Union. That's on February 4th. So what's that? Uh, about 10 days away from now. Uh, it could wrap up pretty quickly. We've heard, you know, from both sides, oh, a big blow here or a small blow there, nothing really to be seen. Two-thirds majority votes needed to remove Mr. Trump from office. Any chance that's going to happen? 
No, as I say, never say never, but probably never. It's it's just the it's not in the cards. A lot of Republicans have made it clear they're not really interested in hearing the evidence. They've made up their mind to protect this president already. Um, I think the the sort of other thing that's important to keep in mind as this unfolds is that if you're dipping in and out of the coverage at all, it might feel really repetitive, and that's on purpose because uh, both sides sort of understand that the average person is not sitting there watching this 24 hours a day like some of us have to, uh, and so they're trying to be a bit repetitive and sort of hope that as people tune in and out they're they're hitting the key moments well i've got about 30 seconds jackson but i'm wondering what the coverage is like in the u.s when it comes to coronavirus obviously the leading uh, headlines internationally and in fact that has knocked impeachment out of the headlines it's not interrupting the wall-to-wall coverage but it's certainly a concern and as of right now there is uh, one confirmed and i believe 12 or 13 suspected cases that are being monitored in the u.s right now we're keeping an eye on that we'll keep an eye on impeachment thanks for joining us as always have a great weekend jackson you as well have a great weekend jackson prosco washington bureau chief for global news he is one half of the couch potatoes and we love to check in with him on a friday especially today because it looks like it's going to be a pretty decent weekend to get out there do some stuff maybe go to the movie theaters brett mcgarry of the couch potatoes joins us as always hi brett how are you good thank you how about you Pretty good, pretty good. Weather's decent here as well. Oh, that's good. I was going to ask you what it's like in the peg. Yeah, it's uh, looking for minus four today and uh, minus six tomorrow, so not bad. Okay, that's not so bad. So we're all doing well. It's uh, nice weather. Maybe we want to get out because maybe we want to skip going inside to the movie theater. doesn't look like you have two very exciting choices for us this week. No, the first one, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by this first one. It's called The Gentleman. Here's a clip. I want you to play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh, please. No. I said play a game with me, Ray, man. Right. Lovely. In the jungle, the only way a lion survives, not by acting like a king, by being the king. Oh. Brilliant. Remember Lock, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's got, uh, is it Guy Ritchie? Yeah, director Guy Ritchie, who also did Snatch. Remember that one? Oh, Starring yeah. Brad Pitt. He did yeah, a so fabulous movie with Madonna back uh, many years ago, too. <laughs> He's got yeah, a real style, that, though. I think that one was called Swept Away, and that movie risked sweeping away his career. <laughs> He's had an eclectic career. I mean, last year he did the live-action Aladdin, so now he's going back to his roots with another British gangster movie, and the cast in this one includes Hugh Grant, Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, and Colin. Colin Farrell, just to name a few. So it follows an American expat, Matthew McConaughey, who built himself this profitable marijuana empire in London. So when word gets out that he's looking to cash out, it triggers all kinds of plots and schemes and bribery and blackmail in an attempt to steal his domain out from under him. It's actually getting decent reviews. It's at 71% mm. on Rotten Tomatoes, so not too bad. I I liked Guy Ritchie's gangster movie, so uh, I think I might check this one out. I've always thought of him as kind of a British Quentin Tarantino because you expect that certain style. Does it mm -hmm. have the same feel of a lock stock or a snatch? I think that's what they're going for with this. I mean, because that Lockstock came out in the late '90s when, when you know, that, like you said, Quentin Tarantino was emerging. or had emerged earlier in the decade, so studios were looking for the next one, and they basically gave sort of the reins to anybody who had a similar style. And uh, he did very well with Lockstock and with Snatch. I think his third one didn't do quite so well, and then he started doing different things, like he did those Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. and he did a King Arthur 
Arthur movie. Mm. So I'm kind of excited to see him go back to this. I'm curious to see how he'll evolve his style. And the trailer actually looks pretty good. So, you know, it's 70-something for Rotten Tomatoes. That's not so bad. Not not too bad at all. So that's one option for the weekend. The other one is a scary movie, if you like scary stuff. This one's called The Turning. What happened to your last nanny? Like I'd tell. You need to take charge here, Kate. I know what you're afraid of. Keeping the lights on won't keep you safe. So this one's a modern adaptation of a ghost story from 1898 called The Turn of the Screw. It's set at a mysterious estate in the countryside of Maine, where new nanny Kate has to take care of these two disturbed orphans. <laughs> she quickly learns the kids have secrets, as does the house. And, well, scary stuff happens. It's getting bad reviews. One of the kids is played by Finn Wolfhard, who was in uh, Stranger Things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so and he's in Ghostbusters too coming up, I think. Or Ghostbusters three rather coming up. Yeah, yeah, he's he's all over the place. He was in those It movies, so he's got a huge career ahead of him, but probably not because of the turning. It's isn't it strange how children can be so terrifying in a scary movie? Yeah, <laughs> they're so yeah. adorable and loving, and yet you throw them in a movie and put some creepy music underneath them, and it's just terrifying. It, yeah, it's funny how that works, and I think that it's, that's why because you don't expect kids to do scary evil things but when they do it it because it's so unexpected yeah that makes it all the the creepier right uh, because as, and as every parent knows <laughs> they can do some pretty creepy stuff yeah i'm glad uh, i'm not a parent because I, <laughs> I think children are can be demons right? so. so you're thinking that in a good way <laughs> you're thinking that bad boys uh, will uh, be number one again or it, it's, a, it's a weird week to tell maybe some people will revisit some of the other blockbusters from over the holidays yeah, I think Bad Boys could hold the line. I don't think there will be enough curiosity for the gentleman to uh, take the reins away. But, yeah, I don't know, actually. It, it, this It's it's a toss-up, honestly. I really don't know. Have you seen anything on Netflix or uh, any of those uh, streaming services that you, you want to tell us about, Brett? Uh, Nothing that comes to mind? The la well, the last thing I, I went through it wasn't on Netflix. It was on HBO, which, by the way... Everybody always talks about Netflix. The best television is on HBO. So if you don't have an HBO subscription, if you don't have a subscription for Crave, you should get it because I w just watched Succession season one and season two, and it is worth the Golden Globe that it won mm. for best television drama. You should watch that. So that's my recommendation. If you're looking for something new to watch, get uh, HBO and then watch succession on demand okay deal That's high praise i'm hoping you get a cut because i think everyone's <laughs> gonna be running to get their yeah. subscriptions thank you so much for your time and have a great weekend brett all right you too guys brett mcgarry of the couch potatoes thanks for joining us on the morning news podcast we'd love for you to join us again make sure you're subscribed to the morning news podcast wherever you get your podcasts like apple podcasts google play and spotify and if you like what you've heard, please rate the show. It helps us improve it for you. See you next time on The Morning News.